Queens. And we are here for a very special recording of Triple Feature Podcast. It is, as of recording, a holiday morning. <laughs> a certain holiday that it's it sucks. It's a stupid holiday. I it, hate it. It's Happy Food Eat Family Football Day. It's, it's we all it's get a day off and we eat good food day. And I don't know. When I grew up, it's sometimes my birthday. And it's sometimes on <laughs> Connor's birthday. In this case, Connor's birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, yesterday. Connor. Happy birthday, Connor. Thank you. Birthday. How old are you now? 27. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 27. Shit. Same. 27 is a fun time to be alive. I remember when I was 27. <laughs> I remember when, when I was, was 27. Big and Brady. Hack the depression. <laughs> we used to wait in line. When I was 27. For what? I don't know. Gas was only one ninety nine. Gas was only one ninety nine. When There's I, like boomers that are listening that are like one ninety nine. Back when I was twenty seven, I paid fucking two hay pennies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, um, happy twenty seventh birthday, Sea Bear. Um, today, uh, we're going to be talking about several things. We're going to be talking about a recap of our Vietnam November triple feature, as well as a look into a quintessential Vietnam documentary. Hearts and Minds before we finally talk about 2023's Alexander Payne November release, The Holdovers, which has kind of taken a grip on, uh, you know, movie watchers around the around the nation. And we're going to talk about it. So let's start today. Remember, everyone, my name's Emma, and that is Freddie. And that is Seabur. And together we make triple feature. We start each week talking about what we've recently watched. And today we're going to start with Freddie. What have you been watching recently? So, <laughs> watched two things recently. One movie, one show. And the movie I watched was Smoke Signals from 1998. Directed by Chris Iyer. And... It is a quintessential piece of indigenous cinema. Um, Still haven't seen it. I need to, though. You got to see it. It's an all-time classic. Um, Certified res classic. Um, (laughs) It's a a comedy. It's a buddy road trip movie. Um, Victor and Thomas, they got to go collect uh victor's dad's personal belongings um after he dies he ran away it's a whole thing it's a whole ordeal it it, you get over the course of the road trip movie you get you know intercuts of like the history between um victor and his dad and like all these family dynamics it is it's very good um, I won't get too much into it. I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say, hey, Victor, I heard about your I'll dad. Shoot your head. <laughs> Does he hate you? <laughs> um, it's got it's so it's so classic, so quotable. It's freaking hilarious. I watched it with Joel, 
who was guest starring on here uh, a couple eps Pause. ago. Texas is on the screen. Texas Tech Texas is, on, is the on the screen, screen, everybody. We are pausing because the going band from Raiderland is on national TV. Do you need to watch them? Do you need to watch them Day on parade. the TV? I'm watching it right now. It's on my computer. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's my alma mater. And I had to show support because I was in that band. Do you see that girl right there? I was doing that. I was doing those things, twirling those I long metal sticks is it on your phone no it's on my computer do you want to see it yeah it's done damn <laughs> fuck <laughs> i see none of it i just recorded the whole thing on my phone too oh well, you have to so send it to me i'll send it to you i was uh, like you said it's anyway. on my computer and then you're just holding and staring intently <laughs> at your phone i'm like is it on your phone <laughs> okay everybody that was fun uh i wanted to watch that and i did so Back to our discussion of smoke signals. Yes. Um, Rock'em Tech, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's one of those movies where, like all good comedies, it's very funny and then it does get very heartfelt and very real. And it is, like, I grew up watching Smoke Signals, so it's always good to go back and watch it again. Yeah. One of those rewatchable kind of things. Oh, yeah. Fun. I don't even know how many times I've seen this movie. Yeah, a lot. It has been... I'm not even going to try. Yeah. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> I don't know if I have enough fingers. All right. What else did you watch? Um, so, the other thing that I watched was Scott Pilgrim Takes Off Fun fact, on Netflix. Seabear and Emma also watched Scott Pilgrim Takes Off on Netflix, which is... It's a is, mini triple feature. It's a mini triple feature. Can we edit in like a... Kind of I mean, I can edit in a... Okay. What if I edit your... Okay. So, if you don't know anything about Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, it is a animated adaptation of Brian O'Malley's... Brian Lee O'Malley. Brian Lee O'Malley's comic, yes. Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yes. And it's also, uh, well, we'll get into the ties that it has to the 2010 Scott Pilgrim versus the World feature film directed yes. by Edgar Wright. Edgar Wrong. Edgar Wrong. <laughs> Edgar Wrong. Dude, the <laughs> best joke. <laughs> yeah. All right, Freddie, what did you think of Scott Pilgrim Takes um, Off? I really liked it. I feel like there's. I feel like we have to kind of spoil this in order to talk about it. I don't think we. Do you think we should? Um, I don't. I don't know. If we, a we don't lot have to spoil. People. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What we're going to spoil is literally the first episode because that's what Freddie's talking about, which I agree. We need to at least spoil the first episode to talk. I don't think we should spoil the, the whole show. Let's yeah. not spoil, yeah, spoil the, the, the whole show, part. but it is impossible to talk yes. about Scott Pilgrim Takes Off without like sp- talking spoiling about what at least makes the first episode. This yeah. season so, so interesting. Well, then I guess here's what I'll say. And also, um, Netflix, going... also Netflix released a, a trailer now showing what the show actually is about because okay, everything so we is won't kind be of spoiling too much. Okay, yeah, and that's yeah, what I was going to say. Be spoiling I was, too much at this point. I was really taken aback that um, it is not the original Scott Pilgrim storyline, and the fact that Netflix and everybody on 
everybody that worked on this was able to keep that a secret all the way up until it came out is very impressive yeah. because like all the trailers are like hey we're making a scott pilgrim animated show and it looks just like it the looks comic like books the comics. And it looks just like the movie but yeah. and we got me. all the original people <laughs> and i think that's i think that was like the secret sauce to keeping that secret going mm-hmm. secret let's say it one more time secret um was that it's like oh we you know we have all the original cast and so then everybody's thinking like the movie and or the comic, it's almost like yeah. nobody even questioned that it's like oh this is just going to be the comic so we're just going to get like an extra long Scott Pilgrim movie and then you get to the end of the first episode and it's like whoa what? whoa this is not like yeah Scott Pilgrim versus the world and it's, that it's literally Scott Pilgrim takes off he does he takes right off and <laughs> the th- and it's so funny because even that first episode like baits you all the way through it they do so many of the gags um from the original like they do and they do them like almost verbatim like the the wallace's apartment bit where they label everything as wallace's and then like scott's like two personal belongings um yeah and these are it's Which like is his jacket and his um, it's like something no. else. It's not yeah. his computer. No, it's, it's his jacket. No, it's not his computer. Um, yeah, what's I think the it's Scott's problem? poster. Scott's poster. That's what it he is. He gets a poster. Okay. okay. <laughs> he has the two girls kissing poster. <laughs> yeah. That was always the joke. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Scott Pilgrim takes off in that first episode. Um, we don't see him. Cause yeah, because like, like Freddie. Like Freddie's saying, it's like pretty much because that was my thought of like the whole first episode is building up to the Matthew Patel fight, the first evil acts. And when I thought that this was going to be more like the comics, I'm like, oh, we're not going to get to that. I was like, oh, we're not going to get to that fight to maybe episode two because we got to like expand, you know, certain relationships and stuff, hopefully. And when they were moving, I'm like, man, they're moving pretty fast for this. But I'm like, oh, maybe it's like, you know an accent episode and then the last two episodes are Gideon and then yeah once when once when like again Scott takes off but spoiler Scott dies <laughs> I'm like oh shit and when they commit to that that's where yeah. I'm like oh this isn't this isn't a adaptation of the comics anymore this is the closest thing us fans are ever gonna get to sequel Scott Pilgrim stuff that they've just yeah, like begging a- for or just like a variation in any way. Mm-hmm. It is a variation, but it is it, it is just because like Brian Lee O'Malley has been sick and tired of people asking him about making more Scott Pilgrim stuff. And so he's like, I don't want to do it. Like, I, I'm glad you guys like Scott Pilgrim, but like, please, I need to move on as an author. And the fact that like, like what Freddie's saying is like the fact that he kept this a secret <laughs> from the audience yeah. of that he actually made new Scott Pilgrim stuff with ben ben davis uh with ben davis like it is crazy and and yes it's a, it feels more like an alternate timeline you know supplementary like if you Multiverse. watch if you read the comics and and watch yeah. the the movie that like it it feels you know good but it is something of like again like it's just the closest thing we're gonna get to a quote-unquote sequel that that fans have been wanting like more scott pilgrim and and that's what we got yeah. I heard somebody say Scott Pilgrim takes off is uh 
is it feels like Brian Lee O'Malley went to therapy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Came back in and was like, okay, all of these things that are considered now somewhat problematic in the year 2023 yeah um are addressed and also just like a a guy who doesn't really care what people think about him and uh yeah i just yeah i kind of i like that it became sort of like a a detective story for Ramona in a way mm-hmm. because of how the first the episode changes. So that was, that was pretty cool for me. Um, the best joke. She's like, I'm like that detective Columbo and Scott. I thought you were going to say Pikachu. I thought you, I was going to say detective Pikachu, but Columbo. Yeah. Dude, I, I had to pause it. Cause I laughed too hard. I was like, That's, that line delivery is so good. Um, yeah, and the oh, cast man. coming back was great. I mean, they all did so good. So um, um, uh, also, I do love the, I love the amount of love that we get for Young Neil in oh, the show. Young Neil's so, so fucking funny. Young, uh, young Young Neil said possibly my favorite line of the whole show, which is just when I he thought says I was something be a about a movie, and then. Um, you know, things happen and he's like he's like, just when I found out that I'm a cinephile? Just when I found out that I'm a cinephile? <laughs> uh, I know, there's, there's a lot review. of love. I loved it. Yeah, it's, there's it's, a lot of I mean, love it's for, for characters. An, an homage to the characters that we all know and love. So, um, but I, I think loved like it. What's... I had fun. It was um, a blast and it was funny and it was also poignant and important. And uh, definitely, if you love Scott Pilgrim, the comic, or if you love Scott Pilgrim, the movie, watch Scott Pilgrim Takes Off because it's very good. So anything else we want to say about that before we move on to Sea Bears recently watched? Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to the needle drop. When they play whatever motherfucking United States or whatever, <laughs> so whatever. oh my, my god. god, I was so no, I hyped. literally yeah, for for Lucas Lee's intro, yeah. whatever. I was like, yes. Oh my god, no, that song is one. so. No, that's, that's, like, great that's the first time I heard that song it's was ultimate, from Freddie, like, and that's all I. Yeah. That's all I could think of was was yeah. Freddie watching it. I was like, "Oh, Freddie's gonna love this needle drop." Oh, I was like, <laughs> I, I was like, too. "Yes, it's fucking whatever." Because I that song it like cracks me up every single time what? I listen to it. I love it so much. I like I'm like it's so like people know about it. Like people play Tony Hawk. That's where like people know it from. But oh, it just doesn't get the love it deserves. Now it does. <laughs> I went. I said, "Yo, Zab, what was up?" He's like, "None." I'm like, "That's cool." What? My United States or whatever. Anyway, yeah, the, only, the only thing I have to the only thing I have to add to it is like, yeah, it's very good. It's more Scott Pilgrim for me. I gave it the ten out of ten, of course. Um, I think what I like is like what we're saying is like they they add more depth and characterizations to characters that didn't get it in the movies. Um, at least for people that watch the movies, so like we get more Ramona in the show and like her uh coming to terms with her exes versus Scott doing that is, is a great turn for character development. And then same thing with Kim, the Kim episode is great. And then even like Lucas, the Lucas Lee episode that we're talking about is also like one of probably my favorite episode just because of Chris Evans, his voice. Uh, he's and so the, 
dialed. In the, pa- in the paparazzi ninja fight. Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. pa- yeah, it's it's all great. So, yeah. Now all right. What else did you watch, watch this list. week, Seabear? Uh, uh, to quickly go through it, for the webheads, I be- finally beat Scott, uh, not Scott Pilgrim. I finally beat Spider-Man 2. I'm giving that a 9 out of 10. I will probably talk about that more once when the game is out and I can actually talk about spoilers or just at least the story at this point because it's still new. I don't want to spoil anything for people that might be playing it or so. But as of now, it's a 9 out of 10. Um, So since beating that, watched a bunch of movies, rewatched Barbie, went from an 8 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. Great movie. Um, We'll most likely talk about it. How you ever gave that 4 out of 10 is crazy. I mean, 4 out of 5. Uh, well, I gave it a four out of ten because I had some I had some issues. The only thing I do say with this five five out of five is the fact that I still don't like the Chevy ad that's in the middle of the movie. But sure. I, I, I digress. <laughs> uh, other thing I watched I rewatched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Still a great movie. Uh, on the Criterion Channel, I watched The Quick and the Dead, a Sam Raimi western out of the Women of the West uh, series. Uh, really good. It's I don't really care for westerns, but you throw Sam Raimi into the mix. It's a pretty good movie. I uh, watched Singing in the Rain for the first time. Banger. <laughs> um, you can see why everyone likes it. And then, yeah, then yesterday I had it's, a half day at a, work. It's I, a very good pairing with Barbie, too. Oh, yeah. Like, it's that mixed with just so many other, like, musicals of, like, trying to replicate it. And no one can. No one can be Gene Kelly. Um... But yeah, so yesterday uh, was my birthday, like we said, and so I decided to go to the movies. And oh boy, do I have a journey to go through. Uh, <laughs> so I decided because when me and Tasha got the horror passes for that horror, the horror passes for the Hollywood Boulevard, the place where you can get food and drinks at, uh, we got free tickets to go back there with them. So I was like, oh, I can use those to go there. And already, me and Tasha don't really like this theater because, like I've said before, they have office chairs for seats and, like, kind of like they've been kind of like uh, messing up things and stuff in our minds and things. So I get there and I'm like, hey, you know, the free ticket thing has so many stipulations of like, you can only see it Sunday through Thursday. You can't redeem it on box office weekend. No 3D, all these things. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, uh, one drink minimum. I get there and I'm like, all right, I want to see Hunger Games. Uh, and the lady's like, yeah, you can't do that because Hunger Games is still technically in its opening weekend. And I'm like, okay, well, when could I see it? And they're like, Sunday. So with that logic, I look at their screen and I'm like, then I can't see anything. And I go, so you're telling me the only movie I can see in this theater right now is Five Nights at Freddy's. And she said, yeah. And I'm like, I'm going. <laughs> so my relationship is over with Hollywood Boulevard. I'm making it publicly known on this podcast. <laughs> Friendship ended with Hollywood Boulevard. With New Boulevard. best friend. New best friend, Cinemark. I love <laughs> Cinemark. Uh, so I buy, because the Hollywood Boulevard is also very expensive with food. And I already knew I was going to pay, you know, quite a bit of money. But I was like, it was my birthday. Treat yourself. I paid for Thanksgiving and Hunger Games and a Pizza Hut personal pizza at this Cinemark, all for under what I was going to pay, even with the free ticket at Hollywood Boulevard. So shout out to Cinemark. You guys are killing it. Like, love you guys. So the first movie I saw was Thanksgiving. 
and this movie rules. Eli Roth is back. I really championed him with the house with the clock in its wall because I love young adult horror movies, but I know that is such a miss for the director. It's such a very, you know, whatever movie, but this movie rules. It is belief the hype. It is probably going to be a new horror icon and the kills and everything are so great. It is, it is a must watch rewatch every year for Thanksgiving for me. Mm-hmm. It is it is on the same vein of like a Krampus or uh, Gremlins of just you got it. You got to watch it for. Horror yeah, fans. I've heard really good things about Thanksgiving, so I don't know yeah. if I'll get to see it in theaters because I'm doing a lot of other watches. But once it's on streaming, I might take a look at it. So the theater experience keep going with it at the end. No spoilers as well, but there's a big explosion that happens. When that big explosion happens, the screen went black and these white lights started flashing in the theater. And the people in the theater are like, we didn't buy a 4DX screening. And noise starts happening and the fire alarm went off. No. And we're like, oh my God. Oh, great. So now I'm like, already I didn't go to the theater that I originally wanted to. (laughs) Now I'm going to this theater and now the fire alarm goes off. And I'm going to die of fire. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, great. I'm like, this is only going up for me. So they hand me, you know, a brain check ticket for that because a lot of people just left their movies because they're like, yeah, fuck this. We're we're leaving. I'm the only person that went back to finish the movie because I'm like, well, I want to see how this ends because, you know, reading Letterboxd reviews, I'm like, how is he a horror icon? Like, how are they going to, you know, maybe bait for a sequel? You know, I ended on this explosion. I go to the theater. They start playing it. We literally had two minutes left of the movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) So it couldn't have been the best, like, way to end so much. (laughs) And then, yeah. Then after that, I had to wait another. So that got out at, like, 6.45. I had a screening for Hunger Games at 7.15, that didn't start till 7.45 because of the, or I think 7.45 or 8 because of the fire alarm. Oh. And yeah, so I had a long I had a long night. But then to end it, I also watched Hunger Games, the new one, the long title that I won't say. The Ballad um, of the Songbirds ballad. and Snakes. And Snakes. Nice. <laughs> I don't think, I think, do it, it I really. Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. <laughs> I really like the movie. I think it's the fact that like the last time I saw a Hunger Games movie was with Freddie in college. I made sure to get seats all the way in the back because the last time that me and Freddie saw Hunger Games, there were people nonstop talking the whole movie behind us. That shit was so <laughs> annoying. Don't do that yep. shit in movie theaters. It's fucking annoying. Um but still, I think the only thing that Freddie remembers out of part two is that uh, tunnel scene. That tunnel sequence. That's because that tunnel scene is the best part of part <laughs> two. Yeah. But I mean, with this, it's like I haven't I haven't revisited Hunger Games in a while. I, you know, I watched them in high school. So I think it's just the fact that, like, it's been years since Hunger Games content for me. And I quite enjoyed it. I still don't like prequels all that much because you kind of know where the story's going to go. But the fact that I... Didn't like the only person I knew was Snow. Uh, I'm like, okay, like I could see where his story's going, but there's other characters. Where I'm like, oh, I don't know where this can end up going. It's really good. The best part is Christmas came early, everybody. 
because Viola Davis is swimming in a pool of ham in this movie. Christmas oh my God. early. <laughs> she, Merry Christmas, everybody. Here's Viola Davis. Dude, she eats, she gobbles up every scene and I'm eating the crumbs. Like, like <laughs> she is having the time of her life on this. And I, the only thing I'll say is I'm hoping that this doesn't deter her from her Oscar run to get nominated with uh, Air. Because her as Michael's mom and Air, I still think about that performance in March. It's, it's and I possible. And I hope that she gets up. Yeah, it's possible but that she with, could get that supporting actress nomination But with still. recency bias, with recency bias and also every studio just sends out for your considerations for every movie. I think more Academy voters are going to be like, oh yeah, she was in Hunger Games versus like, they might forget that Air came out this year. But that's pretty much it. But yeah, that's what I've been watching. Awesome. Pretty, pretty successful week. Alright, so with my recently watched, I do plan on watching the Hunger Games prequel film probably this weekend sometime, but in the last week since our last recording, I caught Taika Waititi's latest film, Next Go Wins, which is a basically a biopic about the this kind of like down on his luck football, well, soccer, but football coach um, that takes on this the worst, the worst uh, professional soccer team in the world, the American Samoa team uh it was fine it was like a typical sports movie in terms of format but there are moments that are you know there are moments that are taika showing off his comedy skills yeah that are a little different because it's definitely a comedy if you know anything about taika ytd um that's what he does he is pretty good at it. A little, little goosey I do, I do love Taika. I love pretty much everything he's ever made. I would say this is probably one of the weakest things he's ever made because, while it is funny, really, there's nothing like special about it. There's nothing to write yeah. home about. Um, it's kind of just like he's playing it safe, and I, I just, yeah, I just, I, it was fine. Uh, I gave it like a seven out of ten because it's it was fine. Okay. So yeah. And you know what? Every trailer than... that I would see, it mm. reminds me of Cool Runnings. It kind of does have that because like it's not cool like Runnings a vibe. drama sports movie. Yeah. It's a comedy, and it has that kind of. Vibe, but it's like but a yeah. It's definitely not going to latch itself into the culture the way Cool Runnings has. Mm. So it's it's one of those movies that's gonna disappear into the ether. Because it's nothing special, and, it, and, and it's fine. It's it's whatever. Um, yeah, my only my only question is is like you said that it's his weakest. Does that in- also include you with Thor: Love and Thunder? Yeah, I like Thor: Love and Thunder more. Ooh, okay. I thought it was way more interesting and fun <laughs> than Next Goal wins. So right. yeah, I I do. So yeah, other than that, I rewatched. Cameron and I rewatched The Dead Don't Die, which is something that we have watched before. We are not super into horror movies, but we are very into comedy. And comedy is probably my favorite genre of of film. But, um, yeah. uh, If you ever have seen The Dead Don't Die, it's a Jim Jarmusch zombie movie. And um, it is the driest 
I mean, it's Bill Murray and Adam Sa- Adam Sandler, Adam Driver. It has Tilda Swinton. It has Chloe Sevigny. It has um, it has Iggy Pop playing a zombie. It has um, in the movie. In the movie. Oh, okay, okay. It has an original song by. No one world. Um, <laughs> It has an original song by Sturgill Simpson. Ooh. That, and it's also a very meta movie. Like at one point at the very beginning, they, they turn on the, the radio. Ad, Adam Driver and Bill Murray are playing like small town cops on a beat. And um, Bill Murray just turns on the radio and it's Sturgill Simpson's The Dead Don't Die. And he's like, this sounds really familiar. And Adam Driver's like... That's be- it's it's the dead don't die by Sturgill Simpson, <laughs> and he's like, "What is that?" And he's like, "That's our theme song." <laughs> so like that's at the beginning of the movie. So like that that kind of just happens throughout the movie. It's like they're half in the movie and half talking about the movie at the same time. Yeah. So we have watched that before, and we were talking about it. We were like, "Let's fire it up. Let's watch that again because it's just it's hilarious. Just um, a good time." Yeah. yeah, I have not seen this movie. It's not, I want to see it though. It sounds it sounds funny. It's very funny. It's very silly. Um, yeah, and then yeah, I watched um, Saltburn, which is Emerald Fennel's newest film. A a follow-up to her first feature, which came out in 2020, called Promising Young Woman, which I loved. And she ended up winning Best Original Screenplay at the Oscars that next year for Promising Young Woman. Granted, there wasn't a whole lot of competition that year because of COVID and everything. But uh, I do think she kind of has a gift for writing. And I see that a lot in Saltburn. Okay. So this is really what I wanted to talk about because Saltburn is a trip, y'all. Saltburn is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in oh, terms man. of it's it's so slutty, it's so <laughs> slutty. Barry Keoghan is is <sighs> obsessed with Jacob Elordi in a lot of ways. Um, I have n- I have. I can't, I can't spoil it. I can't. But there are some things that happen in this movie that are the kinkiest, weirdest things I've ever seen in oh my, my life. <laughs> and, like, and I'm just like, Emerald, what is wrong with you? What is, like, you are so sick and twisted in your head to write shit like this and make actors perform it. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. <laughs> But honestly, I loved this movie. It's like half dark comedy and half psycho thriller. Okay. And it's really not what you think it is because it's kind of being billed as this, like, you know, like this sex kind of thriller. Mm -hmm. Um, And... I'll just say there's a twist. I'll just say there's a twist. That's all I'll say. And I had a great time watching this, and I had a great time talking about this with the person I saw it with, as well as other people, other friends I know that have watched it. And um, it is it is one of those movies that will make you think and talk about it 
for days afterwards. It's got it's got a lot to say, and it, it's uh, it's very interesting. So. I don't think it's going to be one of those like nominated for best picture. Like I don't think the Academy would touch this movie with a 10 fold pole in terms of uh, like nominating it for best picture because it's so weird and because kinky. it's so weird and kinky. Okay. Uh, but I do think this is something that might be like an original screenplay thing because it's so original and interesting. And, and also, and, and also Emerald has one before. Mm-hmm. And usually when you like get in, you, you're kind of you're in. like on the radar. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wish I would have seen it. Oh yeah, I wish I wasn't was gonna st- go see it with us. And- <laughs> I got stuck in traffic for two and a half hours. <laughs> you really missed out oh, on yeah. this. Uh. <laughs> um, yeah. So Freddie was gonna go watch it with us and wasn't able to do it. But uh, yeah, so I I loved it. I Nine tempted. out of ten for me. I was tempted to see it yesterday, too, but I was already wanting to see Hunger Games because everyone kept talking about it. And I like the Hunger Games franchise. And then I was like, I should see Thanksgiving because of me being a big horror fan. So I just didn't have the time to see it yesterday either. But it is on my radar. Yeah. So, yeah, that's it for me. I do plan on watching Hunger Games and I plan on watching... Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox sometime today because that's my Thanksgiving Ooh, movie. That's a so, good one. Yeah, yeah I forgot to do that. Up. Shit! <laughs> it's too late. Uh, oh, fuck. Too late. oh, wait, wait, wait. We forgot to do it. It's never too Pause late to watch Pause Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. Guys, we're going to have to stop recording so that all of us can go watch Fantastic Mr. Fox and then come back and talk about it. No, I'm just kidding. No, because it's not like, doing that. Cause, cause, yeah, because like you, like you oh, listen, what a movie. I, I rewatched. I rewatched yeah. Plain Streets and Automobiles because that is a Thanksgiving yeah. movie. But the other two that I say that are Thanksgiving movies, everyone's like, there's not Thanksgiving movies. I'm like, well, there's Fantastic Mr. Fox that yeah, gives off the most Thanksgiving vibes. That's the most and, Thanksgiving movie that's ever existed. And then so. uh, Knives Out, I've nominated. Oh, Knives Out as is a, a Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving classic. Movie. You're right. You're right. But okay. I forgot. So, God. So that's it for our recently watched <laughs> the, the genuine distress. Sorry, might next week. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it next week on next week's recording. So let's get into uh, what we do at the end of every month is we recap our triple feature. So this month was dedicated to Vietnam movies. Vietnam November. We watched three feature films connor's was kong skull island freddy's was full metal jacket and mine was apocalypse now so first we're going to just briefly kind of talk about that as a triple feature before we talk about what we think is an essential vietnam documentary called hearts and minds so uh let's just kind of briefly recap kong skull island Connor, can you tell us about Kong Skull Island in 10 seconds? Or is that too little time? How about 15 Kong? seconds? I'll give you 15 seconds. Okay. You ready? Go. You're, you're Kong on Skull time. Island. Yep. Kong Skull Island is about people going to Skull Island to uh, figure out what is going on there. It's basically the Kong story, but they made it Vietnam. It takes place around Vietnam, and it's just a big old allegory for the Vietnam War. Nice. That was a good recap. Okay. Cool Freddy, beans. Can, Me. Can you recap Full Metal Jacket in 15 seconds? Yes. Okay. Ready? Go. Okay. So Full Metal Jacket follows a private in 
the U.S. Army going to uh, Vietnam. We follow him through boot camp through the first half of the story, and then we follow him as he just descends further and further into the Vietnam War in the second half. Wow, that was good. Uh, (laughs) Y'all are good at this. I don't know if I can do it. It's your turn. Your pressure's on. It's your turn. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, my movie was Apocalypse Now. Okay. Ready, set, go. Apocalypse Now is Francis Ford Coppola's uh, based on Hearts of Dark, Heart of Darkness um, book. And it is about a general. Uh, so doesn't matter. Uh, following or going up the river to find a rogue uh, army general Kurtz, who has basically started a cult in Cambodia, and he needs to kill him. Nice. Wait, 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 wait. Insert applause sound effect. <laughs> okay. Just duplicate it like six times. <laughs> okay, so what do these three movies have in common? Vietnam. <laughs> um. <laughs> Other Duh. than the month's theme. <laughs> <laughs> Other than being about and set during the Vietnam War. Yeah. What else? You know, one sort of base thing is uh, comedy. Every single one of these movies u- utilizes comedy. Like, as a, it's not like the only part of it. They're not comedy movies, but every single one of these has at least some part of it that is very reliant on comedy i'm giving freddie i'm giving freddie a look right now because i am racking my brain to find one funny part in apocalypse now apocalypse now it's the the fucking it's the fucking (laughs) charlie don't surf it's that dude just saying great batshit crazy shit and wanting to surf in the middle of a war zone like that's like the only part but it's it's interesting to me that every one of these movies has at least one part where they want like quotable comedic lines is that a monkey? Is that a monkey? Is that a but monkey? I think I mean I think it's in I think it's like I think it's very much like a defense mechanism in all of these movies. I mean, obviously Full Metal Jacket to me has the most comedic parts. Yeah. Uh and there are funny parts in Kong Skull Island. Everything John C. Riley says is hilarious. Yeah. You, I, it, you think I, they're I, birds, I, but whoa. they're fucking ants. so good but yeah no i mean like i agree with freddie of like well the kong the kong one is just the way that movies are written in today's times of after the marvel it is it is a 21st century blockbusters yeah like blockbusters have to have comedy because like it has to appeal to a whole audience so like you know we need zingers yeah you have the action for the dad but the comedy for the mom you know like you you need to appeal to everybody. Whereas, like, yeah, like, I do think it is interesting that, like, even in the 70s, like, or 70s and 80s, like, the movies that you guys picked, like, like you're saying, like, they have these comedic scenes that may not be as comedic, like Emma's saying with Apocalypse Now, but they <laughs> just end up, they just end up becoming comedic. Like, I mean, Full Metal Jacket is, like, the most with it, with the drill sergeant, but I also think that Apocalypse Now, like, the somewhat intent is comedy with Robert Duvall's character because like it's just the more yeah. that he keeps the the more love that he has for surfing you just have to just like 
like laugh because you're just like this is ridiculous dude yeah like, especially absurd. when they land yeah. and they're getting shot at and he's like no nah, go to that wave <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. oh that's a good one I, that's, that's a good wave that. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you gotta you gotta it's like there's like it's there's like explosions going off like six feet the from him and he's like, like you're gonna fucking miss the wave the dude. ocean is on fire <laughs> yeah like, next to the surfers yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so like, it's, it's just funny, like but, yeah yeah it's like an absurdist it's humor, absurdism. and yeah. I think that's that's I think that's just like a big. It's going off of these movies that we've watched. It kind of gives the impression that like a big part of Vietnam is like you uh, joking about it you because have to find the humor in it because you, it's, there's no other way to cope. The only thing left without the humor is the horror (laughs) the horror (laughs) or drugs yeah yeah like other other the other vietnam movies that i watched it's a lot of it's a lot of them going into drugs yeah there is a uh i mean for me i think there's a lot in kong skull island that is directly riffing on apocalypse now specifically the helicopter entrance scene yeah and the um, you don't the general, say. you know, and, and all of that. But um, I would, you know, helicopters play mm-hmm. a huge role in the Vietnam War specifically, and they are ever present in all of these movies. They're oh, like yes. a they're like a threat, mm-hmm. airborne. That was something that was dropping bombs and dropping napalm and dropping people. Oh God! Yeah. We'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, okay, so anyway. now that we started what? out semi-light with our comparisons of these movies, who, who else has got some? Who else has got a little bit to drop? Anybody got? Well, my, mine is, is just like, yeah, they're like I was saying they all have or I was saying before we recorded and stuff, they, they all are based on uh, source material. So like with Kong, it's based on King Kong. Um, and using the IP to talk about Vietnam. And then Full Metal Jacket was based off of a uh, book that Kubrick uh, read, The Short Timers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then, like Emma was saying, with Apocalypse Now, it's based off of uh, Heart, uh, Hearts of Darkness. And so it's just interesting. It's interesting that, like, specifically with Kubrick and Coppola, that they've read these but well with coppola it's interesting that he read a book that isn't about vietnam and turned it into yeah. vietnam it's and about that, yeah. that relates Africa, more to the colonialism yeah that and that relates to the kong thing of like taking the ideology of king kong and turning it into vietnam but then same thing with kubrick of reading something and being like yeah that's what i want to make yeah um, yeah i will say kubrick is definitely very much known for most of his movies are based on a book mm-hmm. not all of them but I think it is interesting yeah. that we only talk about The Shining being like the one movie he has based on a because book, it's a but Stephen it's like King novel. Yeah, but it's like almost all of them are. It's the most well-known source material. Yeah. So we don't really And that's also the the adaptation. author hates <laughs> yeah, yeah. the author hates the movie too. <laughs> yeah. Even though Stephen so. King like it's like dude what what movies are you directing that are to this caliber? I'm sorry, but I like what the fucking the one with the trucks? The monster truck. Never mind. This is a tangent. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know what you're even talking about. <laughs> Stephen or Stephen. <laughs> Stephen King 
He directed one. Of, he directed a movie oh, about one of his books. Talk it's about really bad. Stephen King as yeah. a director. He's that's not. You're not. That's not a real thing. You're an author. Yeah. Stick to it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Stay in your lane. Stay in your Stay lane, your lane Steve." <laughs> or Steve. So Steve. Yeah, um, I'm losing my mind. You yeah, and, I mean, you're James Patterson. Keep pumping up books. <laughs> so, and in these three films, there is a quote that I wanted to read. Before we talk about the Hearts and Minds documentary, um, there is a quote from, I believe, an author about war movies. Um, no, a director, Francois Truffaut, Ooh. Uh, who directed The 400 Blows in 1959. Um, but he has he he was interviewed for the Chicago Tribune in 1973 and he was quoted as saying every film about war ends up being pro war this view was affirmed by apocalypse now director francis ford coppola who spoke to the guardian newspaper saying everyone everyone wants to make an anti-war film but that Apocalypse Now has stirring scenes of helicopters attacking innocent people. That's not anti-war. The exact opposite of Truffaut's view was argued by fellow industry heavyweight and director of Saving Private Ryan, Steven Spielberg, who stated that, of course, every war movie, good or bad, is an anti-war movie. By directly opposing Truffaut's assertion that to show something is to ennoble it. Spielberg posits the unorthodox stance that by merely being presented in film, the concept of war is made unappealing to audiences. What do y'all think about that? Watching these three films about one of the most atrocious wars that we have experienced in our history. Do y'all think that these films mostly glorify or glorify war or are they anti-war? Um, I think it comes down to it's definitely interesting because of like we've talked about this in every episode, the way that these movies are interpreted versus how we think the author intended them to yeah. be interpreted. And so I think that's a big part of it. And I think that in and of itself definitely feeds more into uh, Francois Truffaut's quote where it's like, OK, you made these movies and you thought they were anti-war, but like very you know, more like people that are more pro war are drawn to these movies because they're like, isn't this fucking badass? Like exactly. Making um, it look cool and making yeah. it look And but, I think I think Connor, you said something about this last week because you brought up you brought up a film that to me is not only interpreted as pro war, but is intended to be pro war which is something like Top Gun, something that is meant it is it is intended for military action to look very cool. And not only does it make military action look very cool, it is funded and approved by the United States military, which is something that I don't think any of the films that we watched in our Vietnam November month do at all. Uh, I think that they Minus make war Apocalypse look now. very unappealing. So you think you think Apocalypse Now makes war look appealing? 
No, I meant I, I thought you were still on the funded by the military. That's oh. by the Philippine <laughs> Philippines government. But yeah. Sure. Um, okay, but it wasn't funded by the U.S. Yeah, military. Yeah, and, yeah and it yeah. wasn't funded by the U.S. military complex. Yeah, yeah. right. I know that. Um, um, no, I think that yeah, like, like, like we're saying, it's it's interesting of like what is pro war versus anti war. I mean, it's 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 the thing with any movie because it's the same thing of like Saving Private Ryan gets the same treatment of like it's pro war, even though like again the first like. 30 minutes of that movie is the most haunting things you could see in yeah. cinema with the D-Day sequence. And it's not Spielberg's intention. Cause again, that dude also made Schindler's list. Yep. Like the closest thing to night and fog. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and so it's, it, it's like, I can see, I can see why that director would say like all movies are pro war, but it is something of like, with certain movies like Kong Skull Island definitely is because like it's trying to market to middle of America because you can't just like you can't just say like oh war is bad you know like with today's climate and stuff because like you can't market to middle of America so that you have to have those sequences same thing with the reason why Top Gun Maverick works so well is because yeah it was funded by the military and stuff but that's just the power of Tom Cruise wanting to just fly these jets but also just the fact of like again middle of America being like look at the patriotism it's all about the patriotism and I think that's what Spielberg is saying in that interview as well of like like you can't just make a you can't just make night and fog and then like <laughs> and then like expect audience to go yes like i want to rewatch that so you have to have at least some sort of entertainment like coppola saying at the beginning of hearts and darkness or like at least in the hearts of darkness documentary where he's like i'm making i'm making the film of all films it's got comedy it's got action it's got it's got everything in this movie so that people can you know like to watch this movie versus just that intent but it is just like the author's intent is what really burns through with a lot of these films and especially like with context for certain ones because like with spielberg it's like with his world war ii ones you gotta you gotta know the history of world war ii or like with us with the vietnam movies it's like understanding the history and stuff adds a lot more and that leads into that could lead into our discussion of hearts, hearts and minds. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think it has a lot to do with author's intent. It also has to do with audience interpretation. Yeah. And in order to interpret these films as anti-war, you have to know the history and you have to be informed and you have to know. And so I think that does lead us into, I think, a film that does not have a mixed message it has a very clear message on war and it and it and it's not and the purpose is not to make war look entertaining and cool yeah at all uh so we also watched 1975's hearts and minds yeah let's talk about that i feel like this is the big butt to that quote exactly. is like, like you can say you know yeah. every single movie about war is about war but then it's like you see a Did movie you see like hearts and minds? Heart, it's like <laughs> the hearts and minds like this i mean so it's great to make a you know it's great to make a sweeping 
generalization about movies as long as you are aware that at some point that will probably be proven yeah so that wrong to some extent so that quote from Truffaut was in 1973 and this movie was in 1975 so he hadn't seen this movie yet yeah two Um, years later your quote is (laughs) disproven just a little Freddie you before you chose Full Metal Jacket as your Vietnam November pick, you were thinking about doing this movie as your Vietnam November pick. So why don't you do us the honors and kind of tell the audience what it's about and and why we're talking about it? Yeah. So I guess I guess it's not about anything. So just tell us what well, it is. It is about Vietnam. It's about the Vietnam War, um, but there's not like a narrative structure to it. So Yeah. That's kind of so, what I mean, what it's yeah. about. <laughs> so um Hearts and Minds, like Emma was saying, was originally going to be my pick for this month. I didn't have it. I had not finished watching it by the time we were getting to my pick. And honestly, I do think that it is. I do think that it is interesting to talk about this movie in comparison to the three that we did watch. Anyway, it is 1974. It's directed by Peter Davis. And it is a. It is a documentary about the Vietnam War in the sense that it is like in it is a basically like a montage of interviews mm-hmm. from all different sides and all different levels of influence on the war itself. Yeah. So it's full of interviews from just regular US soldiers it has interviews with Vietnamese citizens. It has interviews with um, Vietnamese citizens serving under the United States military as Viet Cong members. Like it has U.S. politicians. High-level so you get this broad like politicians. What was that? High up politicians, like oh, Secretary yeah. of Defense yes. type of people. So it is it is a it is a broad net that is cast on like who is interviewed in this movie. And the way that it the way that it all comes together is very um disheartening uh <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. You and the thing that I the thing that I like so much about this movie is you get a perspective that is lacking in a lot of these other Vietnam movies that are coming out of the United States because they're coming from the perspective of the United States. And while that perspective is in this movie, you are getting so you are getting so much of the other side that you're it's like you it's like you are seeing where where the divide is, mm-hmm. like where that cognitive dissonance is. The for Vietnam the War States. cannot be the Vietnam. The Vietnam people cannot be ignored in this film. No. And I will say, in Apocalypse Now, one of the one of the first things I said right after I watched Apocalypse Now was there was not a single Vietnamese character in that movie. Uh, and then you look at Full Metal Jacket, and we have. Vietnamese prostitutes and we have a uh, Vietnamese child who you know is at the end of the film yeah but 
none of them have names. Uh, none of them really have any agency other than just being the opposition to America. Yeah. And then even with Kong School Island, it doesn't even take place in Vietnam. <laughs> no. So, uh, I mean, I think though, I think the citizen, I think that civilization might be an allegory for Vietnam Vietnamese people, but you know, but still, it's, it's, it's an allegory. It's, it's it is an not. Allegory. It it's is not, not a direct Vietnamese allegory. people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think we get what we're missing with our Vietnam recap with hearts and minds in terms of getting that Vietnamese perspective. And um, I mean, you're right, it's incredibly disheartening. So um, Connor, talk about what you liked about Hearts and Minds. What did you find interesting? Yeah, with Hearts and Minds, like Freddie's saying, like it's quintessential because like it gives you that perspective that like, cause like I watched it pretty early on I watched it after uh, Full Metal Jacket and then after all the other Vietnam movies that I watched, like it just, you can't stop thinking about the influence that this documentary has and stuff of like, you know, stories. And like, that's what led to like why I loved Platoon so much is because like, and why I think I, I should have picked Platoon as my pick. Um, and why people kept recommending it to me. Shout out to Jason, because like, it's a perspective from Oliver Stone who fought in Vietnam. And it shows that like, what I think the documentary does well is that it's impartial filmmaking where they're not leading all the politician conversations and stuff are not leading them into being like, like they're not leading the witness. If that makes sense. There, there's no like narrative that these filmmakers are really like pushing striving for um there's no like gotcha moment it's just all like vietnam is a complicated issue and and to have a documentary that shows both sides of the argument but specifically like yes like the vietnamese side and how devastating that is but then also like even on the american side like it isn't just all like the american interviews are like yeah no like we're America and we're, we're strong. There are some interviews of them being like, yeah, I kind of regret fighting or I don't know how I should feel. Or there's even one where that guy's like, yeah, we should have stopped this like years ago. <laughs> and so yeah. it's, it's just interesting to see that get affected with, again, with like something like platoon that came out in 1986 of, of showing that like side and these other movies of like that, of, of like that that side of Viet Vietnam where you see that struggle in America of of how like listening to that interview of veterans on the platoon Blu-ray of how you can tell that 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 kind of goes to the 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 intent of the one director of like you want to show patriotism you always want to support your country but it's hard when it's something like this where where like you, I don't even want to say a gray area, but it's just like, you just don't know what to think. And you, and you don't know what to do because at one point you fought in the military and you feel proud because your grandparents and, or, you know, father fought in world war one and world war two. And you feel like you're going to make a difference with this war and this war there really isn't. And same thing with my friend, Jason, who's in the military. He talked about, he talked to me about how he struggles, uh, having people nowadays going to Afghanistan 
to fight a war that they weren't even born yeah. uh, to, that that started in it and they're getting sent to this war that they shouldn't fight like it's yeah. it's crazy it, it's crazy like it again it's it's just a crazy crazy wartime and and with with it of like my biggest point of the documentary was like pretty pointed out of like it just has so many interviews and like the amount of access these documentarians had is crazy of just like again like you know u.s u.s secretary of defenses or i want to say there might have been a vice president or something like that and like it's just like the amount of politicians the amount of civilians the amount of people the the wide net that they cast is so good that you just wouldn't see a documentary like that today or at least if it was it would be so it would feel so art like artificially manipulated into like telling a specific side of a story versus like again the impartial side that this one is telling i mean i do think that you're right in saying that the intent was to just gather information and be impartial. But I think it's impossible to watch this movie and not come away with a clear message. Yeah. And I, I think mean, yeah, that, like every documentary. Yeah, in, in a way. Uh, but I mean, yeah, by gathering these interviews from these different perspectives, there is a very clear message. Yeah. Um, and when you're talking to the Secretary of State um, and his incredibly cold response to that question, <sighs> it grinds my gears. It grinds my yeah. gears hearing the way that he he's like, how could you even ask that question? How could you even? Yeah. How could you even question the United States? And he's like, that's a dumb question, but I'll. I'll that's uh, a stupid you know. question. It's like, <laughs> yeah. no, you just don't want to answer it. Yeah. Because if you actually answered the question you would say the quiet parts out loud yeah and he doesn't want to do that and it grinds my gears and that is on purpose they cornered this guy in his high-rise apartment in new york city wherever he is i don't know where he is but it's obviously some very nice it's probably like like dc it's probably it's just you can tell it's a very nice apartment it's not in. Vietnam. Exactly. <laughs> and then you see the you see these interviews with um, these soldiers. One of them is in a wheelchair yeah. and he's in a park and one of them's in front of his house. And it's a very humble abode, <laughs> you could yeah. say. And you juxtapose that with the guy who doesn't have to fight in Vietnam, but makes the decisions for these young boys to be sent to war. And yeah. he is so cold and cruel with his response that it's impossible to walk away. And then you see the um, a factory worker in Vietnam, and he's like, this is our home. What do you expect us to do? Yeah. We're, we're going to keep fighting for our home in, until we starve. Like, and, and as long as there's rice, we're going to keep fighting. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Kill us all? Yeah. and then, And then he even says it's like, He's like, we've been fighting for this land long before any, like, the United States showed up for this. Yeah, because the French have occupied Vietnam for decades, centuries even. And, yeah, like, this isn't your conflict. Anyway, there is a clear message. Um, The the pilot is what sticks out to me because Mm -hmm. he is one of the final, he gets one of the final kind of 
phrases. And that whole that whole movie. sequence is like Going I would say forth. like the standout. Yeah. Those three those three interviews back to back. Which to is talk the about factory worker in Vietnam, the pilot who's sitting on his porch, and what's the other one? It's that fucking politician. And he he isn't really part of it, but he is like Are the connecting about the coker guy. The the guy that's talking about how life is worth less in Vietnam. Yes, he connects those two interviews to each bitch. other. Yeah, okay. and it is like it yeah. is just this. It's like this perfect bit of editing where you're seeing you start with the factory worker, and he's like he's just distraught. And he's lost his family, and he's running around, and he's he's like pulling like his child's clothes out of the rubble and he like throws them at the soldiers yeah. and he's like give these to nixon and tell uh-huh. him that my my daughter's never gonna wear these again mm-hmm. the pigs that she was feeding are still alive but she's not yeah and then you just hard cut into this american politician nowhere within fucking like a day's travel of vietnam and he's just like yeah no life you know life is just worth less over there they just ha- yep. they have a lot of it to spare uh-huh. it's like what, what are you mean? fucking talking about it? yeah and then it's and so then it, and but then you cut to the no, u.s right. veteran who it's like this guy is quite literally the connecting glue for these two people exactly. to have had to interact with each other in any way in the first place is exactly. this cold fucking heartless motherfucker yeah. and then the the veteran he's talking about like I I was a pilot. I didn't drop napalm, but I dropped things that were just as bad as napalm. And I he dropped talked, and he talked about how he didn't hear the explosions. He didn't see the aftermath. He was so yeah. far removed with his actions. Mm-hmm. But then he says something that I think is the most important thing, which is the the um the interviewer asks, "Have we learned anything? Have we learned anything from Vietnam?" Mm-hmm. And he says, "I think we're trying not to." Yes. That's that's the filmmaker doesn't say that. A US veteran pilot yeah. says that. We're trying not to learn from this so that we can keep doing it and do it again and do it again. Yeah. Do it again and do it again. And it's twenty twenty three. It's been fifty years and we're still doing it. Yeah. So And oh man. It, it's just it's so it's it's incredibly right. <laughs> it's like gut-wrenching but yeah. it is so good and like you have and in that part he's talking about like he when he says i don't know what i would do if somebody did what i did to my kids exactly. and then he like breaks down mm-hmm. entirely <sighs> yeah it's that's so the, good that's the heart yeah the people that we sent over there no more but and and the people that experienced it as vietnamese citizens no yeah. no leaps and bounds more about the Vietnam War than a U.S. politician or the Secretary of State. Yep. And yet they were the ones think, that were making all of the decisions about it. And I think that's like the heart of like everyone realizing like we're all humans. It's the thing that you like we liked about Kong Skull Island of like John C. Riley, you know, connecting with the Japanese soldier. And it's the same thing of like what I've noticed with like a lot of like with Platoon and some of the war movies of like you you have this like interactions where you see something fucked up like that and they go like what are you doing like especially with platoon of like when they rape this vietnamese woman and like charlie sheen's like what are you doing like you're animals 
like this is a human being they're not like they're not cattle and like that's what we kind of see throughout a lot of these movies of like the vietnamese people just being other than they're just a ghostless figure they're they're being other in the cog yeah in the cog of war that it's just they're the enemy you know go for it and it's not like we're saying like it's not as simple as that and it's it's crazy it's just a crazy and and yeah that ending is just really good of showing showing that side of like again you see him wrestling with the fact that he he loves his country but does he really love it that much from what from what he did yeah so if you didn't watch hearts and minds like we told you to last week (laughs) do it um watch hearts and minds if you've spent time watching these vietnam movies watch the quintessential like quite literally another one on (laughs) like not since not since night and fog have i been this impacted by a movie about a war yeah same all right speaking of a war Speaking of Vietnam, um, this past week, we also all watched Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, which is our November new release discussion, but it happens to kind of fit our theme because while it does not, while it is not a Vietnam War movie, it does not (laughs) take place in Vietnam at all. Uh, there is a loose kind of tie to this time period. It's set during the time period. The Vietnam War is happening during this movie, and there are references to the Vietnam War yeah. and how it impacts yeah. the characters. And so I do think that that is going to weigh heavily on our discussion. I don't know about y'all. Um, but The Holdovers mostly is a comedy. Yes. So we're going to lighten up a little bit. Our hearts and minds discussion it's was very was very mostly, uh, serious. <laughs> yeah, um, it's also mostly advertised as a Christmas movie, so let the audience know that it's you're not going to go into a Vietnam movie. It is a Christmas movie at heart. Yeah, <laughs> it's a comedy. It's a it's a holiday yeah. movie. It it's takes the place. connecting glue between our two months. Exactly. Um, so if you don't know anything about the holdovers, it's called the holdovers because it takes place at a boarding school. And over the holidays, over the two-week Christmas break, there are some students that don't have a a place to go to. And maybe their parents went to Korea and didn't... Went skiing. Yeah. Or they went skiing without you. So rich school. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, these are wealthy kids for the most part, minus some, you know. Uh, yeah, so they got they get left yeah. at school and Paul Giamatti plays a teacher if you will. at the school who also has to stay because somebody has to stay with them. So we have Paul Giamatti being this authority figure for the holdovers that stay over for two weeks. And then we have Divine Joy Randolph, who also has to stay over Christmas holidays because there has to be somebody that makes the food for these people. Somebody, they have to get fed somehow. So basically it's uh, how many, like five? There's five kids that start. And then uh, and then you have Paul Giamatti and uh, Divine Joy Randolph that are the adults. And then there is also a custodian slash groundskeeper that is also there who makes his way into some scenes but it's mostly just these two adults yeah Yeah. um eventually 
one of the rich kids' dads uh, lands on school grounds with a helicopter and takes most of them away to go on a skiing retreat. But uh, the main character, Angus, is not able to go with them because they can't get a hold of his parents. So it ends up just being one kid, and Paul Giamatti, and uh, Divine Joel Randolph. Um, the dream. The, yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of uh, the basis of the holdovers. Um, let's start with you, Seabear. What did you think about this movie? This movie is a certified Christmas banger. <laughs> uh, this movie this movie goes hard. It is like you don't see a lot of movies like this get made. It's very well done, very good. It's probably the best I've seen Paul Giamatti in in, in a long time. Probably his best performance since Big Fat Liar for me. <laughs> um <laughs> Shout but, out Big uh, Fat Liar. <laughs> yeah, shout out Marty Wolf Pictures. But I think like the thing about it that is just so special is like what Emma said when she kind of pitched it to us of like, it is about that, like in between weird time where it's the holidays and you just kind of are trapped to your own thoughts of like everything. And I think it hit, I think it hit home for me of just like experiencing like a holdovers type of scenario of like being in college and like just not wanting to go back for Christmas or like Thanksgiving or whatever. Um, especially like going to NMU in the UP and it'd be like an eight hour drive to get back to Chicago. There'd be times where I'm like, yeah, I'll just stay at NMU because you know, I already have a job there and they can, they could pay me and stuff just for like the two weeks. But like having, having those times where I was at the college and there's like nobody there except for like, yeah, like adult figures, it, it kind of makes you think of like, Oh, like, should I be more an adult or like, what, what does this mean? And like mm. all that stuff. And so it was very, it was just very interesting, like seeing that through Angus's life, but then also like other characters that you can connect to like Paul Giamatti and then even um, uh, Mary, Mary, the, the lunch lady. Yeah. Uh, I do think you're right. I do think this kind of becomes like a coming of age story also, because uh, the main character, Angus, well, I, I would say Paul Giamatti is the main character, but Angus, who is the, um, the one kid that's left over. He does a lot of growing up in this movie. He does a lot of maturing uh, in those two weeks. So I think that has a lot to do with yeah, just being around adults. It's the typical like coming of age story in the fact of like a trope of like you have the grown up adult that's like set with his ways and you have the rebel kid that kind of loses him up you know and stuff and they they kind of learn from each other of like you know paul giamatti you know teaches teaches angus about you know like like certain life lessons and things but then also you know angus you know loosens him up in in ways of you know potentially trying to hook up with girl with women and and things like that and so it's that it's that thing of like that 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 stereo not stereotype but like that trope in in movies that i kind of like of like the not the oddball couple but like you know everyone can learn learn from somebody yeah i do think that they do learn 
from he from each other a yeah. little bit. They kind of bounce off of each other. Um, what's his name? Paul Giamatti. What's his character's name? I forget. Um, but I'll he beca- he becomes kind kind I have of it like up a. Right here. They call him Walleye. It is. It is Paul. <laughs> no, it's not. sick. It is. It's Paul Hunnam. It is Paul, Paul Hunnam. Hunnam. Yeah, how, Paul Hunnam. How funny. Um, yeah, he just kind of becomes like a mentor <laughs> yeah. to him in a, in a way. So one of the things I said when I first watched this film a few weeks ago, so I watched it for the second time for this podcast to get a little refresher, but uh, I, I watched it for the first time a few weeks ago. And one of the things I said was, I kind of hope that this becomes a modern Christmas classic, something that people latch on to and revisit every year. And so, Connor, Freddie, do you all think that that's something that this movie could possibly be? Um, I would. I would latch on to it. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I saw it with my brother-in-law. Shout out, Nick. Um, and honestly, I wasn't sure how he was going to feel about it. He didn't know anything about it going into it. He asked me what this movie was about when we were watching trailers before it started playing. Um, <laughs> and he loved it. He wants to go see it again. Oh, he wants cool. the DVD. Like He was really into it. And so I do think that it has that potential to hit that point. I think the big thing is just getting people to even be aware of it in the first place. I don't think that that's going to be a big problem to be to be honest with you, at least in film circles. I think in mm-hmm. film circles people are really watching this and not only watching it but they're really liking it and they're yeah. really finding that it's a comfort it's almost like a cozy sweater movie. Yeah. It's very wholesome. It's very it's very like um happy kind of ending in a way um mm-hmm. and so i think i think people are liking it and yeah. i think if it gets more momentum during oscar season which i think is very likely i've i've been kind of keeping track of its i guess the conversation of best picture as well as a best actor nomination for paul giamatti and a best supporting actress for divine joy joy randolph i think those are all going to happen and so i i think if it kind of gets in the culture that way i think we might see this revisited every year traction yeah yeah i just think that it is it's just like because i was saying it's like a slice of life movie yeah and like i it definitely has like it's coming of age elements but um, like the adult characters are also just as studied as the this kid. Like you get, like you start out and you have this sort of ensemble of all these other kids that are there, and so you kind of see where all these characters fit in to society on like a, a like a little bit of a bigger level like a bigger group of people but then as soon as it gets down to that core three characters it's like now we are really going to go into who these people are and just sort of how they are and And so you get like these really great character moments from 
every single one of them. But it's also a comedy, and yeah. the humor is off the charts. <laughs> Paul Giamatti is hilarious. Every single thing he says in this movie is so funny. I wrote down so many quotes. You're going to have to but, give us some. But one of the things that just cracked me up is when Angus is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in this gym. You can't do anything to stop me. And he just uh, dislocates his shoulder. The scream yeah. that comes out of this boy's mouth when he dislocates <laughs> his shoulder is one of the funniest things. Um, one of the things that Paul Giamatti says is he's grading these boys' paper. And I'm a former teacher. So everything that he had to say uh, about students was hilarious to me because he's grading their papers and he's like these rancid little Philistines. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he's talking to the dean about the senator's kid who he get, who he failed. And he's like, and the dean is like, you can't fail the senator's kid. The, the senator gave us money for, you know, this building or whatever. And he's like, yeah. that boy's too dumb to, pit, to pour piss out of a boot. <laughs> Um, like literally the master of line delivery. Um, and then he says to Angus at the dinner table, this is more towards the end of the movie when we have like a better dynamic between the characters and it's a little bit more like wholesome, but, Mm -hmm. um, they have this very serious conversation between Paul and Angus and about how you aren't your father. Like you, yeah. you, you aren't your father. You can make yourself who you want to be. And mm-hmm. then Mary walks in and he's like, stand up. And Angus is like, stand up. Why do I stand up? And he's like, um, he says, stand up for the lady, you bore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Uh, Everything he said was so good. Um, but the, even Angus has some pretty great lines. He says something too. Um, that little that little shithead. What's his name? One of the shitheads that's a holdover, but he's just a little. Is it the skier kid? No, the other kid, the mm. the one who like made fun of Mary and like just like the actual little asshole kid. But he's like, oh, you got us homework and we can't retake the final. And they're in church. Yeah. And Angus says, tone it down. Jesus can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, uh. that got me good. Um, and then. Paul is like talking to all the talking to all the kids because th- there was a fight and he's like somebody better tell me who started this fight or we're going to do all this cleaning and you're going to be like elbows deep and all this like centuries grease and <laughs> Angus says and here I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's no, so no, good. It's, good it's just like it's like singers <laughs> front yeah. to fucking so back. So funny. And here's the so thing. So funny. Um, I'm I'm gonna get. Uh, my wife wants to see it. Oh, it's so good. And Faith, go see it if you're listening to this. Yes, podcast. Faith, go see it. You better be listening. We're gonna to go this see pod- it. Podcast, Faith. Hopefully, you've seen it by now. Um, <laughs> but because she's been really into Gilmore Girls, and this movie has like a very similar style of humor to Gilmore Girls yeah, and and uh, dialogue. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just like I'm like you would love this movie so much. One. I've been trying to get I've been trying to get her to watch Gilmore Girls for years. So now she's finally watching it and she's obsessed. And I'm like, I, yeah, I knew this would happen. It's like Gilmore Girls is so good. Anyway, um, but I just like I just it's it's the combination of it being just like a very well made and heartfelt 
slice of life movie tied very funny yeah tied to that like quick dry wit where like it's so funny when like characters will say jokes that are like too witty for other characters and like so you're sitting there laughing but like the other character has no idea what was just said to them (laughs) (laughs) no it's really good um I really liked the retro vibe of mm-hmm. this movie. The almost like well, the filter say... that's put on this um, uh, camera to make it mm-hmm. look like it was filmed in the seventies, and even the sound quality and like film. the way that it's literally the the introduction to the movie looks like a retro like studio uh, label, like a studio. Um, moniker or whatever. It looks like it's from the 70s. And the Vietnam War does kind of hang over this movie. Um, There is a sense of war in general. Uh, When we we first are in the church, there's a... uh, In the church, there's like a dedication to all of the boys who went to Barton that fought in World War One and World War Two, but also Mary Lamb, who is played by Divine Joy Randolph, who is the um the the cook for the school. Her she's I mean, it's we should probably just get into yeah. that, but it's, it's right from the beginning. It's of the right movie. from the beginning. Um so she's a black woman and she also does not come from money, obviously. She and says to Paul's character, um, and um, she says to Paul's character something to the uh, to the extent of, I got this job so that I could ensure that my son got a good education. And so we learn that her son, Curtis, went to Barton, and was a student, but couldn't get into college because it was too expensive and therefore did not get a student deferment like most wealthy kids got who were going to college instead of Vietnam. He goes to Vietnam and he's killed. And so throughout the entire film, Mary is dealing with her grief and dealing with the loss of pretty much besides her sister, pretty, you know, all of her, all of her family. So um, there is that heaviness that Vietnam weighs on. And even Paul says something to Angus after they have um, after they go to the hospital to (laughs) fix his shoulder. Uh, they go to a restaurant and Angus has an encounter with a Vietnam vet who yeah. has a, a hook for a hand. He's lost his hand. And um, they leave the restaurant and Paul says something to the extent of how many how many boys do you know have had their hands blown off? And then he's like, Barton boys don't go to Vietnam because most Barton boys are going to college. Yeah. And then he says something like, except for Curtis Lamb. <clears throat> and I think that I think that's uh where it ties into to the Vietnam uh structure a little bit, which is who's being sent to Vietnam? Young men, but mm-hmm. poor kids. Yeah. Kids who don't have another option. And I think this movie has 
something to say about class structure. I yeah. kind of wish it got into it a little bit more, but I do think that this film is a little bit more lighthearted and um, it doesn't necessarily have to go into depth because it says a lot with that line. Yeah. Just that one line. All he says is, except for Curtis Lamb. Think about that. Yeah. Why, why is Curtis Lamb the only Barton boy yeah. that got sent to Vietnam and died? Yeah. No, it does. It manages to address these well, things with like just incredibly well written, quick lines of dialogue yeah. that say a lot. And line delivery, because yes. it takes somebody like Paul Giamatti to deliver that line the way he delivered it and to say so much. Angus doesn't have anything to say to him. He's just yeah. like, yeah, except for Curtis Lamb, you know, so because he's um, saying it because he knows that the kid. Like, this isn't the first school. This isn't the first school this kid's been in. Yeah, exactly. We slowly learned that he that he's a kid that gets kicked out. So for him, he's saying that because it is the looming threat yeah. of Vietnam of exactly. that. If he gets kicked out of Barton, he's going to go to Vietnam because his he's go alternative to military is school. boot camp. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so I, I think you're totally right. That's Yeah, that's the other reason why that line hits is yeah. because of the fact of like, it it is showing that class struggle of like but yeah, if daddy has a lot of well, yeah if daddy has a lot of money he he can get you out of you know any scenario but like it is of like there are like we said there are some kids in the school where like they might have just had enough money to get it because they're hoping that they get a good education so then mm-hmm. they can go to college and Absolutely. hopefully that not just that they don't go to Vietnam that they can you know like with Mary he can become something that isn't a lunch lady you know that yep. hopefully his her son can be you know a physicist or wh- whatever he wanted to do we don't learn what he wanted to do but you know what I mean like he could become something more than what yeah. she, what her position is right he now he wanted to go to college yeah you know he yeah. wanted to go to college and and that's and he wasn't given that opportunity. Yeah. And so, and sh- yeah, that's a warning. It's it's hovering over Angus, the whole movie. Yeah. Of if I don't do well and if I don't behave, I'm going to be sent to Vietnam. And mm-hmm. that ending where he's about to get kicked out and Paul is in the office with his parents and Mary, <laughs> this moment is just so, so sweet. I just that was one of the moments that I cried. Um I, she she sits down next to him on the bench while he's waiting for basically his verdict of if he's going to get kicked out of Barton or not. And all he says is, uh, you know, I, I, I might get kicked out. I might, I might go to military school. And Mary just sits next to him and like puts her hand over his hand. Yeah. And it's like, She's Mary, who has lost her son to Vietnam, knows more yeah. than anybody that Vietnam is a death sentence. And um, that was just like, oh, that got me really good. And I just I just kind of want to wrap up my thoughts of this movie, which is it's it's a it's a comedy. It's a Christmas movie. It's a coming of age. But this this movie is also about the found family theme, I guess. So we have these three main characters who kind of become a family over these two weeks with. Paul Giamatti kind of being the dad and Mary being the mom and Angus being the son. And we have Paul, who is basically a guy who has made the choice to be alone. Yeah. And we learn a lot about, you know, 
how he's gotten to where he's at, but he has he has chosen that for himself. He could have had a family if he wanted to, but yeah. he has chosen to be a, a professor at a boarding school that lives on campus and never leaves during Christmas break because he doesn't have anything to go to. Yeah. We have Mary who has lost her family. And then we have Angus who has a family, but they abandoned him. Yeah. And they make this like beautiful trio of lonely people whether they chose to be lonely or not, yeah. that find a family together and are able to celebrate the holidays in that way. Even Mary says something like, everybody should be with their people on Christmas. Yeah. And they end up doing that. Like, they are they, they are each other's people yeah. because they've lost everybody else. So I just think it's really heartwarming and sweet and very wholesome. So, yeah. Um what do we think about this movie? What's our ratings? I, um, oh, okay. Do we um, want to get into our ratings? I think we should, but. Yeah, we can get into our ratings. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, there's a lot of, I don't know how much, like how much we want to get into the, some of like the bigger parts of the movie. Do we want to talk about them? Like. What do you mean? What have we not gotten into? The Christmas party. With oh, yeah, I mean, Mary, that's like yeah. that. I mean, that part makes me cry. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like in, it's a great performance. The, yeah. I mean, it, that highlights her grief and where she's at. And it's like it's been yeah, there it's the entire the Oscar, time. Oscar yeah. scene. That's her. That's her scene that's going to play when she's nominated for an Oscar and yep. they show her clip. That's going to be her clip. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very important. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I that part that part really did it for me and the and the fact that it's like clearly lingering in her like in her performance all the way up to that point. It's like you're there and you know that it's going to happen and then like when it actually does happen, you're like ah, It's a God. very 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 great performance. Yeah. To even when she, she visits her sister. Yeah. It's oh. like oh. She pulls those little shoes. Mm-hmm. I was like I just wrote it's down just like I can't shoes. do this, please. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and but even like even when um even when Paul Giamatti's character realizes that they both take the same antidepressant, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is so good. Yeah, this is so good. Hey, we have more in common than we think. Yeah. That's something that I took away is like, you might think you're the most opposite of people. Paul is like this serious mm-hmm. historian who thinks about the Roman Empire every All second the time. of his He's life. That meme. <laughs> no, yeah. Embodied yeah. he is that meme. And then we have Angus who's just like kind of a goofball who's he's very rebellious. But he's just a kid. Yeah. They have more in common than they think they do. Um honestly I gave this film a four and a half out of five wow. on Letterboxd. I really Nine enjoyed it. And I'm definitely, I'm going to be watching it again. And it's like, I, I, I got to show it to Faith. Faith's brother wants to see it again with us as well. My sister wants to see it. So I, I'm going to see this again. I was I was just like, I just enjoyed this movie from beginning to end. I had a really great time with it. Um, as far as I go, I gave the holdovers a four out of five, an eight out of ten. Really enjoyed it. Honestly, I think it's a solid movie. Um, 
The only reason I wouldn't give it a four and a half or a nine is not because I think anything is wrong with it, but I do think that um, it's kind of cheesy. It's it's too, it's a little cheesy. It's not like super cheesy. It's not like a Hallmark movie cheesy, <laughs> but it's just a, a little bit cheesy. And so um, I thought it was hilarious. I thought the performances were great. And like I said, I don't have anything against this film. Don't come at me for giving this a four out of five. But yeah, it's um, it's it's just not amazing to me. If that is some somehow I can relay that it's it's very good but not amazing and i think amazing films get four at four and a halfs and fives so yeah that's kind of where i'm at see bear where are you at uh i'm at i think i'm more with freddie but i also think with a rewatch i'm right now i rated a nine out of ten but i think on a rewatch this is going to get a ten out of ten I think this is that rare sea bear five stars. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But it's only because of the fact of like what we're saying of the conversation of this movie is going to be a classic. I just think that with the classic conversation, I think it's only going to be a Christmas classic with film circles and people that have seen it. It, it's only because this movie is like we've talked about. It's very quaint. It's very quiet. It's soft. And it's not the stereotypical like Christmas movie that you think of. Not to say that all of them are loud and stuff, but it's like when you think of Christmas, you think of Home Alone or Elf and It's a Wonderful Life and things. But like e- even with those, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see a lot of. I don't even want to say general audiences. I, I just don't. I think a lot of people are going to see it, think that it was great, and then move on. Yeah. I don't think a lot. I don't think a lot of people are going to really go. Oh, you know what? It's Christmas time. Let's watch the holdovers. I think they're going to go back to their other stuff because of the the death of cable and the fact that this won't have like this probably won't be on ABC families, you know, 25 days of Christmas. It's it's going to it's the death of streaming of like how like. Like my biggest, like my two biggest, like Christmas movies that I think should be watched every year that are newer for 21st century is uh, uh, Happiest Season on Hulu and also Spirited on Apple TV Plus. And with those, it's because they're streaming movies that they won't get talked about because, again, people watch it once and they move on. But with this, it's like I can see myself buying this Blu-ray as well as, you know, Freddie's brother-in-law and like watching this all the time. And just get into that rotation of different tradition, traditional movies for me uh, that I watch every year. Well, speaking of Christmas movies. Quimmies. Speaking of traditional uh, festive movies, uh, it's time to talk about December's theme, which is, drum roll please. Uh, 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 hang on. Festive December. Woo! You guessed it. We're going to be watching Christmas movies in the month of December. Who would have thought? Honestly, who who would you do that? You mean to tell me we're not watching World War II movies? <laughs> we're going to go straight into straight from Vietnam to World War II. We're watching World War II movies, everybody. No. Um 
This Nothing month, but we are going to watch some <laughs> Christmas movies. So we are leaving Vietnam behind um, and getting into a much more um, happier subject, which is the holiday season. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a little bit and more pleasing. The, and the, and the, the, the warm, fuzzy feelings that we get from our favorite Christmas movies. So um, we're going to start next week with Sea <laughs> Bear's Festive summer movie. Connor, what is your movie? My movie is Christopher Columbus's Home Alone, written by John Hughes. Isn't it just Chris Columbus? A, yeah. I like, to, I like to give I don't him want the full. To get I like to confused give him with the Spanish. I like. I like to give him the full name. That's that's who <laughs> I support. His government that's, name. That's the Columbus I like. <laughs> I like to right, write cool. history. Um, but yeah, it's a so, great movie. Everyone should watch it. Before next week, watch Chris Columbus's 1990 classic <laughs> starring Macaulay Culkin, one of the Culkin brothers, but not the best Culkin brother because the best is Karen, and we all know that. He's in the movie. <laughs> Karen is in the movie, yes. Uh, he is in but, Home Alone. It, but he doesn't star in the movie like yes. Macaulay does. <laughs> um, where, where can you people find Home Alone? I think it's on Disney Plus. People can watch Home Alone on Disney Plus. Stars, if you have a star subscription still, <laughs> um, and also <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody, but and you can also <laughs> buy it uh, on. You can rent it on iTunes, Amazon, YouTube, or Vudu. And also right now, as of this recording, it is on sale on all those platforms for $9. Ooh, so all right. So you can you own to buy it, Home Alone. Yes. All right, everybody. You've um, got to the count of 10, a.k.a. next week, to get your copy no good yellow belly <laughs> keister in front of a tv <laughs> and, watch and watch home alone, alone. You all right everybody filthy animals you filthy animal <laughs> all right if you are still listening at this point we thank you very much for sticking with us um please rate and review the podcast that really does help us get listeners and follow us on Instagram to keep up with what we are talking about, as well as hints at future episodes. So please give us a follow at triplefeaturepod.com and follow us all on Instagram and Letterbox as well, which, um, yeah, we've talked about before. So anyway, you'll find them. You know where you, they're you at. You know our names and where we're at. So everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week to talk about Home Alone. See ya. Bye-bye.